This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Tim Priest with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. We are previewing Virginia Tech, a huge game for Notre Dame if they are to keep their bowl hopes alive, because we know what's awaiting them in Los Angeles the following week. Uh, I, you know, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup. Virginia Tech's good. Somebody keeps giving me crap about always saying that, but I noticed that early in the season, and uh, and it's going to be a real challenge for Notre Dame. Notre Dame playing better football. I think it's a pretty evenly matched games, even if the records don't indicate that. I would like to see how Notre Dame's run game responds to a real run defense after some success over the last couple weeks. I think one thing watching the Army tape that stuck out to me was they're they're trending away from everything being so read option-y. There's a little bit more just straight handoff type stuff, which seems to suit Josh Adams really well. I mean, so going through that tape, I mean, they had runs of 8, 14, 10, 8, 12 and nine off straight handoffs. Um, whereas the read options up the middle, up the middle are three, two, four, three, two, three. Um, so I think there's maybe there's something there, but I want to see it apply to a real defense that has some playmakers in the front seven. Um, because Notre Dame, I think needs that to open up the passing game. I've been, you know, sort of pounding the table for more play action type stuff all year, but to make that work, you need to establish, not just hand the ball off, you need to establish a running game against a team like Virginia Tech so Kevin Stefferson can get deep. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Notre Dame is is playing better football. I am not in the camp to get carried away about the Army game and, oh, they played with an edge. But it was, it was a clean game, yes. and they have not played many clean games this year. Maybe they haven't played any clean games this year. Um, so... You have to give them at least credit for that. They hadn't played any clean games, and that's why I was impressed after the game that they finally did that. Take away the opponent. It shouldn't have taken 10 games, but they played well in all three phases. But what struck me about the Army game and the running game, as Pete said, the push on the offensive line, it was great. It's expected against Army. They're not going to have that necessarily. You're probably not going to have this often against Virginia Tech. Josh Adams is getting touched eight yards downfield on the 12-yard runs, and now you don't have to have all six guys up front totally dominating like they did against Army, but you do need play side to get a little bit of push. They're going to have to run the ball a little bit against Virginia Tech with success and stick with it because Virginia Tech's pass defense is very good. They've been very good all year long. I believe they're 12th now in pass efficiency defense. Never look at yards. It doesn't matter. The other reason they're good is when they get you on third down, Bud Foster dials it up. And he's been doing it for many years, and he's going to be doing it on Saturday. And if Notre Dame can't balance running the ball consistently, doesn't matter if you get five yards every time, just run the ball. It's okay to be second and six. It's okay to be third and two. And you know what? It's okay to run on third and two occasionally, too. Uh, you don't see that a whole heck of a lot. But I really think if they cannot run the ball, it's just going to make it too hard on Kaiser. Um, and a passing game that I like when, when they're playing from, from strength. Uh, it's interesting that... You know, Virginia Tech only averages 4.0 yards per carry, but they're like in the top 20 in carries. 
which gets back to the it whole weird. Yeah, yeah which gets weird back to the whole theory of Charlie Weiss. What was that really a clean game against Army? I mean, I think to the, I think in person we thought that when I sat back and watched it with the interception at the goal line, the illegal formations, the false yep. starts. Yeah, penalties, I mean, it was the clean penalties, penalties, penalties were bad. It was the cleanest of of yeah. their games, but I wouldn't necessarily call that clean. But I agree with you, Pete. They're not going to be able to run the football like they did against Army. No. I no. mean, Josh Adams is not going to have. We talked about Josh Adams looking like his freshman year and having room to maneuver. He won't have that against this defensive front. Um, I, you know, I, I'd like to think that um, they're they can they're going to throw the football against a really good secondary. That's what they got to run it through, they and that's and and that's yeah. why you have to. Even if you don't have some success, you've got to run the football a little bit more in order for that to, you know, pay off in a passing game. I would like to see more Tarian Folston this weekend. Um, Josh Adams tries hard, really good kid, very good athlete, but I'm not seeing the Josh Adams that I saw last year um, in terms of just explosive ability. Um, And when I watch Tarian Folston run, I see somebody who can make something out of nothing better than what Josh Adams can. And I think there's... I think there's going to be a lot of moments of nothing on Saturday, so you need somebody who can make something out of it. And Probably on both Folston, sides. That's where yeah. Folston, I think, can get a little bit more than what Josh Adams can, so I'm curious to see if Folston sees extended work. It's interesting because I spent the first two minutes of a monologue talking about how they have to run the ball, and I don't think they will because I don't think Brian Kelly will stick with it. Stop me if you heard this before. So I really believe, just watching them on tape, that they need Torrey Hunter back in the slot to make Equinemius, St. Brown, and Kevin Stepperson viable threats yeah. against a good pass D because CJ Sanders is not the crafty underneath receiver that Hunter is. I think if they have Hunter, Kaiser has three guys he totally trusts and a developing guy he trusts a little bit in Smythe. Smythe is still not going to get it, the ball, you know, in crucial situations like the other three will, but he loves Stefferson right now. Equinemius and he have connected all year. When Hunter's playing well, he is still a weapon in the slot. I know if we were disappointed in his season because we thought T.J. Jones numbers and it's not close to that. But C.J. Sanders, much of a playmaker he is with the ball, they're having trouble connecting, he and Kaiser. I think Hunter can move the change three more times than anybody else would in that position. It's not good news that he didn't come out to talk yeah, yesterday. Yeah, and I asked, um, I asked uh, Equimini St. Brown about how his practice went just to like float that weather balloon. He's like... Uh, you know, he warmed up today. I didn't really see, like, if Equimedia St. Brown is not seeing Torrey Hunter, that means Torrey Hunter's not taking any meaningful reps. Yeah, and I don't like the Corey Holmes, C.J. Sanders, Chase Claypool situation against, oh, sorry, Pete. The uh, Corey yeah. Holmes, C.J. Sanders situation yeah. against uh, Virginia Tech. And obviously, Claypool would have his hands full. I think it's going to be a Nick Wisher, Durham Smythe type game. Yeah, I agree. It's a two-tight you know, end game. When, when people ask about, well, why do you think Hunter isn't going to return? Because I don't think that he's... Fully, I, th- I, I think he's not getting, fully. He's get hit in the head and the knees and broke yeah. his leg. Of, I mean, like, he's yeah. not fully engaged. Yeah, he, he right. His body, I mean, his body he, has been put through the freaking ringer. He broke his femur before he came to Notre Dame. He tore his groin and whatever the worst grade tear yeah. you can have to keep him up for two months. One year later, he hurt his knee. He's had a concussion. You can tell he knows he's had a concussion too. It just he's not shying away from contact, going for the ball. He's not running through contact either. It's, Torrey Hunter Jr. has had a lot of injuries, and I don't think he needs football. No. There no. we go. And, well, he said it, yeah, right? And, and he's a good football player, but he doesn't need football in his life. And he's, I mean, his body probably doesn't feel great. 
No. <laughs> I, I, I mean, think about it. I cannot imagine going through the injuries that Troy Hunter has yeah. gone through. I mean, that that well, that it, would it, definitely make me hesitant not, to try to run anybody over. It on makes a his life in between the hashes now. I mean, right. he's he's good in the slot. And it's it, not it, like you know, there's not a lot of. I, I agree. I mean, I know all those injuries, but there's not a lot of contact on that body from the last four years. Not a ton, right? I mean, he hasn't been targeted that much. He doesn't have that many receptions. Right. He got knocked out of two games this year. I'm not saying that he didn't. I'm not saying that he didn't. But when you consider all the blows to that body over the course of four years, there really haven't been that many. They've been significant. Yeah. He's only gotten in a few car wrecks. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, they've been bad. That's a good way of putting it. They've been bad. I guess Notre Dame defensively, I don't want to spend any more time on Jerron Jones. Um, He said he'll play this week. And Brian Kelly said he'll play this week. Um, I do wonder what the linebacker rotation is going to look like. Do we see Greer Martini build on the last couple weeks when he played extremely well? Uh, I think he's a good energy guy for them. Like, you can't take James Onowal off the field, and they didn't last weekend, nor should they this weekend. But um, I do do wonder if um, you can get a Martini-Morgan Onowalu group for the next couple games. Because I just think that that's yeah. the best. So Martini plays Will. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah, can you do that? I, I'm guessing they probably won't, but it just seems like somebody that they could maximize uh, maybe a little bit more. I don't know if you want to sort of change streams here at this late in season. They though. can on every third down, though, and that's what they yeah, kind of started that's to do. A good they point. even started to do that with Van Gorder, and he became, look he's it, a yeah. really good player on third down. Uh, not, I'm not talking third and two. I mean, third mm-hmm. down's when you have a little bit of an advantage. Um, so I think they'll work him in. Yeah, and I, I yeah. look. I'm not. That's not a slight at Tavon Coney no, at all. Because I think he's yeah. playing good football. I just think that Grim Martinez is playing a little bit better. If Virginia Tech uh, is going to demand to run the ball no matter what, then you do want Tavon Coney in a lot as well. If that's true. If you're just going to hammer. That's if true. They're going to hammer away. And we have to talk about the Virginia Tech receivers because that is one hell of a trio. Fifty-eight hundred. Career receiving I mean, they're, errors. They're all in the top seven in the history of receptions at, at Virginia Tech. I think it's fifty-eight hundred career receiving yards. Among that, the three, I, I didn't, two, yeah, I didn't add tight on. end and two wide receivers. Isaiah um, Ford, and they all have another. Year, of, yeah, they all have another year of eligibility. Good I don't God. know that they're going to use it. Isaiah Ford probably isn't. Cam Phillips probably will. Bucky Hodges is. I jumped the gun Did on you Monday his, talking about have you him. Seen his tight end. Have you seen his numbers over the years? The exact same. 45 catches, 500 yeah. yards. 45 catches, 500 yards. 45 catches, 500 yards. It's absolutely remarkable. Yeah, I saw a mock, <laughs> I, I, on a mock draft I was looking at earlier this week, he was a first-rounder. It's <laughs> because yeah. of 45 catches, 500 yards listed, every you know, year. <laughs> he's listed as a tight end, but I, I think yeah. it was your guy that you talked to, Pete. Yeah. story. I mean, he's, he he's detached. He is a tight end, air yeah. quotes. Yeah. You can't see us recording. Uh, which is, which will, which Elizabeth Jones will, I think that's the kind of player he will it's be. It's Elizabeth Jones with three more inches. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, in terms of how they use him, where they align yeah. him. But, yeah, he is really, really difficult to defend. I don't think Gerard Evans is a – I mean, I don't think he's a great passer, but when you have three receivers like that, especially Hodges at 6'7", you can just throw the ball in the area and and uh, and he'll get it done. And Gerard Evans is the leading rusher. He has over 700 yards rushing. So that they're going to have to contain him the way teams have to contain Deshaun Kaiser sometimes. Yeah, and that's – you know, Brian Kelly didn't seem too – concerned with it. I, I do get his point that they play a lot of dual threat quarterbacks these days, but I think he's a tougher tougher oh, matchup is. on the run. I've Notre Dame struggled look like they struggled swoops. They struggle a couple and this doesn't really matter anymore, but Marquise Williams from North Carolina, those type of guys, those guys are tough in college, like you said, to Sean Kaiser. I mean yeah. when you have to respect the, a regular offense and they just escape, right. that's when they do their damage. It's not necessarily lining up in quarterback power and going. It's right. it's when they break you down. Uh, getting back to the running game, um 
Virginia Tech is number six in the country in tackles for loss. So, you know, I mean, as soon as Nardame has a tackle for loss in the running game, you know they're going to steer away from the running game. So we re- at what point during the season do we stop talking about them needing to run football more? I mean, it's a broken record, and it's it's not going to happen unless Tarian Folston is, is sharp and they feed him the football a little bit. Unless they get early success, I think is what it comes down to. Then he tends to ride it a little bit, but it's so hard. He Brian Kelly even what constitutes riding it? Thirty-one carries. Yeah, <laughs> like no, just not not a bit. Not I mean, I mean literally. I get, I get, I, running can almost count on Virginia yeah. Tech having forty-five rushes. Now, part of that is their quarterback, right? right. And and he runs it even more than Kaiser does. He's de- he's not the same kind of runner as Kaiser. He's no, I mean he's he's a bull though. Yeah, I mean, he is similar in terms of how <laughs> just sort of muscular he is to Kaiser. But um, I mean, talking to people who cover Virginia Tech, it, it sounds like that's they're doing it because they have to, not because they want to. Um, so I, I don't know how much him running the ball is a real positive or a sign of like who they are. I think it's a sign of who they wish they were. They do fumble the a lot. They Their turnover stats are bizarre. Yeah, I mean they're really up and down. Yeah, I think uh, in in ga- in the seven wins in in Virginia Tech seven wins, Evans is, has eighteen touchdowns and one interception. Yeah, yeah, and, and in their four and their three, three losses, it's or... it's four and three. So I mean he runs hot and cold, and they they need him to run. I mean obviously their offensive line doesn't plow holes. They have Trayvon uh, McMillan as a running back who rushed for a thousand yards last year. So. You know, as we said, as I discovered when I started going through all the teams during the summer during the first rate series, Virginia Tech is very, very talented. They have a lot of good football players. And Notre Dame has to play. I mean, if they play with an edge against Arby, okay, great, so be it. They have to play better than they <laughs> they have to play better than they've played probably at any point this season. We found out Army is not Alabama either. So this will be neither is Virginia Tech. So they're gonna be okay. Somewhere in, in between somewhere right? in between those two yeah. is uh is Craft that message. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I know the O'Malley formula is out, so I'll start with my pick uh to start people, people don't know that. We'll let him yeah, explain why it's out. To close the uh the first segment. I, I think that the Virginia Tech's biggest strengths plays into Notre Dame's biggest weakness in terms of the Virginia Tech receivers against Notre Dame's defensive backs. So that's why I have to go with Virginia Tech. Uh, I'm going 28-23. But, yeah, I've sort of totaled up Hodges and Phillips and Fords. They're at 5,952 yards receiving for their career. That's insane. (laughs) That is an insane number. Um, And as much as I like Julian Love and Dante Vaughn and Troy Pride, um, Devin Studsill. This is just not a good matchup for them. Um, no, and I mean next week will be a real struggle too. So that's why I like Virginia Tech to win on Saturday. I don't think Virginia Tech is great, but they're good. Um, Notre Dame is not quite good. They're four and six. So Virginia Tech twenty-eight, Notre Dame twenty-three. All right, the formula is dead because Notre Dame's defense. Granted, a hurricane helped. Army helped and Ryan Burns helped, but the defense has made it dead. They've done a good enough. They've done a job where I don't think a team walks in like Virginia Tech and automatically has twenty. Now they're going to score over twenty, but that doesn't mean the formula has to continue on. So, yeah. two weeks ago, I felt Notre Dame would win this game. Didn't want to watch the Army game and think about it. That didn't change anything, but I don't care if it does because I have decided that picking games two weeks out is better. I don't I'm not present centric. It doesn't cloud my. 
judgment of what's going on. I don't have to listen to something said on Tuesday that makes me want to go against Notre Dame with every fiber of my being. <laughs> so I ignore those things. Yeah. Now, the problem, Virginia Tech's pass defense against Deshaun Kaiser, number 12 in the country, pass defense defense, coupled with a very good red zone defense, a very good third down defense, tackles for loss, all these things point to Notre Dame throwing the ball 50 times and losing. However, I am sticking with... The weather's it's, supposed to be bad. So hey, it's, coming. It's, it's coming. it's coming. It's coming. Windy and rain. You know who's got. <laughs> He'll learn from his mistakes in wind and rain. All right. No, listen. I'm serious when I say that Notre Dame with six close losses and one close win. The law of averages comes in. There's a reason they were favored. There's a reason I thought they'd win two weeks ago. I am sticking with Notre Dame to play a very good game against the third best team on their schedule, with Navy being the second. Notre Dame 27, Virginia Tech 23. Uh, the field goals are reflected in the red zone defenses for both teams. Notre Dame has, is really coming on in that regard as well. And they will uh, they are going to come up with one more win this season. And then they go to California. And they go to, to USC. The two best wide receiver cores on Notre Dame's schedule this year are next week yeah. and this week. Um, and, and that's a problem. And, Pete, I don't – I mean, I think Notre Dame's DBs – can hang in there. The problem is there's no pass rush on the front end of it. You don't need sacks, which time. makes which <laughs> okay. There's no quarterback pressures, <laughs> let alone sacks uh, on the front end of it, and that's a problem. Yeah, wind and rain. Um, so and we know that that won't impact how Notre Dame uh, a- approaches its offense. If yeah. I if I may interrupt, sure. Um, Virginia Tech played in North Carolina on the same weekend as Hurricane <laughs> yeah. Matthew and they as well. Played one and, of their best games in North Carolina. They ran the ball 66 times and threw it 17. And then they won 34-3. No, we're not getting that weather, though. It's, it's to South Bend. It's not the... I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I can't help we do. I just want to see what happens. Uh, I, I, I'll, pick my, I'll make my pick in the uh, preview. I pick Virginia Tech in the preseason. I will likely stay with that. I can't go away from the two-week thing. It'd be like nine and two. No, we. I'd be we, like nine and two ever. for yeah. crying out loud. I, as opposed to five and four, yeah. there's a big difference. Yeah, I'm, point, I'm so. just freaking yeah. on tilt like a gambler. I picked yeah. Notre to win every single week. You this had year. to go against I it. I finally right? had to break out of this just vicious cycle it's I was like in. Ten straight yeah. roulettes on red. It's got to so, happen. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm the guy who's like, I really thought Notre would be ten and zero. It's just okay. Well, that's it for segment one. We had a bunch of questions for our readers, so we'll get into all that next on Irish Illustrated Insider. Welcome back to segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, Burning Up the Boards. Our first from CJ Irish fan, and it goes right to Tim Priester's wheelhouse, actually, for something he's working on. With hindsight being 2020, what are some indicators that may have been overlooked in the spring and summer that would have forecasted the current record? An interesting question for me because I sat down last night after I got back from a basketball game, wound up, and uh, started writing down ideas as to, you know, because everybody says, you didn't see this coming, why couldn't we see this coming? And I'm not saying that we did. Nobody sees 4-8 and eight coming or whatever they're going to end up. But think about that. I'm going to I'm going to name some players and think about how you thought about them in August and how you think about them now. Will Fuller, Ronnie Stanley, Jalen Smith, Sheldon Day, Nick Martin, CJ Proceis, Romeo Aquara, Kavari Russell, Elijah Shoemate, Steve Elmer, Matthias Farley, Joe Schmidt, Chris Brown, Amir Carlisle, Elize Jones. These are guys now that aren't playing 
for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Sean Crawford, Max Redfield, Nick Watkins, Corey Robinson, and I throw Jared Grace because he was a good leader. The way we viewed those guys, you, you think, okay, you can compensate. I can remember somebody saying that the young receivers would compensate for Will Fuller. Oh, yeah, that's Will Fuller They're is going to be better off because they spread the ball around. Will Fuller is a once-in-a-lifetime player, a once-in-a-lifetime receiver for Notre Dame. So that's just one point as to why, you know, what, why, how did this all go wrong? Wrong defensive co- coordinator, wrong approach. No sacks, no surprise. We knew that was going to be And the coordinator way. was no surprise that he would fail. Let's go, to, let's go to what we would have known then. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I would throw into that, and I knew he was going to use Drew Tranquil incorrectly, where he, was, where he couldn't make a play in the previous defense, and now he's making plays all over the field. Uh, average defensive line. I mean, that you, ties in you with were no number, sacks. You were was, number one on that, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. didn't think they had the toughness inside. Think about the drop-off at the three technique. Sheldon Day had 15 and a half tackles for loss last year. Jerry Tillery has three. Young linebackers, that hurt them early in the year, especially against Texas, Michigan State, and Duke. Losing Steve Elmer. Um, those are things that I think we Those are things we knew that would be a problem, starting with that long list of players that are no longer playing for Notre Dame. So, you know, if we didn't see it, shame on us for not having a, a, a better feel and a better, you know, indicator of what, could happen again. You don't. You don't project. You don't project four and eight for Notre Dame. I mean, even in the no. even in the worst of thir- circumstances, and then things you couldn't expect. The coaching the coaching staff doing an awful job this year. A, a terrible job starting with the defensive coordinator. The offensive slump with NC State, Hurricane, Stanford, and Navy. Deshaun Kaiser going through some accuracy issues, which is up to the quarterbacks coach to prevent that from happening. Uh, offensive line struggles. McGlinchey has struggled. Nelson's been pretty good, but not not all American. I don't think thought. I don't think Alex Bars has had a good first year as a full time starter. We thought Coleman looked good in the preseason. He was terrible in September. Yeah. The secondary was decimated by the loss of Redfield, Watkins, Crawford, and even Devin Butler, who nobody wanted him to start, but he was a guy that had experience. Um, Justin Yoon's been really really good. He missed a, a makeable field goal against Duke in a three-point loss. Cole Luke's been very good. He played terrible against Michigan State. So, you know, why has this all happened? A lot of the things that we could see in the preseason and some other things that developed as the season went on. And we, uh, the, the, for the things we talked about that stick with me was losing Fuller. We've had ongoing conversations with people that are trying to say that Notre Dame's wide receiver core is better because it's deeper and more varied, and it's just the worst argument <laughs> In the history of sports, like saying the Bulls were better when they lost Jordan because the ball got spread around more. Um, Jalen Smith, you know, not having Jalen Smith did prove to be a, an issue, um, whether he'd be used properly or not. He was the human eraser, we called him. But on yeah, third down. Yeah, on third down. Incredible. I just didn't think they could di- – I was 9-3. and three. I didn't think they could dip. I didn't even think they would dip to 8-4 and four because I thought Brian Kelly would do a yeah. good job. So I get an F for that call on my part. Uh, I really thought he would coach them up to 9-3. and three. I, I'm surprised – that they're this bad. Yeah, and it's, I want to, if I could just correct, I, 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 they did an awful job coaching early in the year, and it started with Van Gorder. Van Gorder, that permeated the entire yeah. program, absolutely. They've done a really nice job of pulling the defense together. You know, I don't really know that there's an excuse for that lapse offensively when you absolutely needed your offense to come through. Ten points against Stanford was really bad. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely need your offense to come through, and you didn't in those three losses. And I know NC State was a hurricane, but the fact of the matter is you had opportunities to score in that game, and you didn't do it. 
And they approached it poorly. And they approached yeah. it poorly. They didn't run the football when they needed to run the football. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I could sum all every, the last two minutes up and just we bet on Brian Kelly to fix the problems that we knew Notre Dame had and he didn't do it. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to to me. We had we all we all individually, collectively had more faith in the staff to get it right than was warranted. So that that was, I think, the biggest sort of overarching misjudgment on our part. UND 63, how committed to Brian Kelly do you think Jack Swarbrick is? Uh, I mean, he's six-year contract extension in January committed, which is pretty committed. Um, you know, I talked to somebody who knows Kelly's agent a little bit last week, and he said that, he fully expects him to be back, and I don't. I don't know what else he would say, but um, Trace Armstrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll be shocked if Brian Kelly's not the head coach next year. Um, I know that that's not a, a, a popular sentiment on message boards and Twitter, but he, he just signed an extension. Um, he's had a really, really, really bad year, but I don't. I don't think Swarbrick has an appetite. I don't to make a change, and I don't think Notre Dame, after just paying off Charlie Weiss has an appetite to then start paying off somebody else to not coach so quickly. I still believe that that Jack Swarbrick crafted a uh, contract with Brian Kelly that would not cough up as much money to him well, were they to course. fire him as they would as no. they did with Weiss. But no, but still, I mean... It would still be it's significant. Be, it's still going to be... Uh, How many figures? Eight figures? Eight figures. I mean, it's, it's going to yeah, cost. Like, it'd still be eight I figures. bet if, if they said, you know what, we're going to make a change, I bet that's a $10 million decision minimum. I would agree. I still think he could be fired if things don't go right in the uh, off-season talks, as Pete has referenced. I think if they get murdered at USC and Brian Kelly wants to hire from within and get rid of one coach and stay the course, breathe easy, stay the course, thousand points of light, everything's fine, <laughs> that Jack Schroeder will say no. What, what are you bringing... I know we're going to have 45 conversations on this, so I don't want to get into it. But what are you bringing back? What are you, you're looking to say the goal is to win. If you, want, you shouldn't be bringing a guy back for one year. You shouldn't be bringing a guy back for one year, because then it is, can you win 10 games, can you win 9 games, whatever. Yeah, and you said there's no number on that. going to be a situation So do you think Brian Kelly will win 29 games in his next three years at Notre Dame? Do you think the next coach would have a better chance of winning 29 games? And it's, that's what Jack Schwarberg has to look at. Now, the one caveat to bring a guy back for one year is it's a lot better to stay the course for one year than not have any clue who you're going to be able to bring in realistically. So if Swarbrick has a list of four upgrades he believes could be upgrades that are possible hires, but he thinks maybe he can get one of them, then I don't blame him at all for saying, let's go with one more year because Brian Kelly probably isn't going to have a year like this again, right? I mean, as bad as the staff, as bad as this year has been, you don't think it's we're going to be looking at this next year 10 games in and be like, this is an F coaching job next year. Which right? leads us right into the next question from Port ND, which is why should I think next year this team and BK are going to magically reverse all their issues and be a double-digit winning team and playoff contender? I, I don't think they're going to magically reverse all their issues and be a playoff contender, but I think that they're a nine-win roster and they'll probably end up winning nine games, and I think you're in purgatory. I I give Sorbrick more credit than that. I don't think he's going to say, well, you won nine games, so... Guess we're good. Um, I, I don't think he's going to look at it that way. Uh, I think he is too much of an out of the box thinker to handcuff himself by an arbitrary win total without looking to see how the season goes and then making a decision. If they go through, if if next year's nine and three looks like a two thousand six, 
nine and three, ten and three, where you're just getting absolutely smoked by all the good teams you play, but you still win nine games, that's not going to work. If you lose to Navy, that's not going to work. Um, you got to show some real progress in some areas, and have it needs to look a lot more like 2015. I'm not even going to go to 2012. Just 2015, where the great teams you're playing, assuming you play any great teams, because what are the best teams on the schedule are what? Georgia, way down. Michigan State, way down. Stanford, way down by their standards. USC, who knows? They seem to be on their way up. If you go into the, those games and you lose two of them, or three of them, let's say they go 9-3, and three, but they're losing at the gun um, to USC and maybe Stanford, then I, I guess you could see progress. But I don't think that Jack Swarbrick's going to sit there and be like, well, we won, we won five, and now we won nine, so... That's a four-game improvement. I think he's too sophisticated. He's too sophisticated yes. of a thinker to yeah. put a number he's on. He's not going to go. He's not going to listen to that talking point and be like, "Well, okay." We're so good. Does he look at the roster and think if we stay the course and hire one coach, we're going to win eleven games next year? No, no. I mean, what's I mean, the point? It, they don't have an eleven-win roster. The, the point is one: if it's going to save you about final five million dollars, um, yeah. and yeah. and you get a better understanding of who else is out there. Like you get. I, I'm 100% all the time into best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And right now, there's not an alternative out there unless Tom Herman calls Jack Swerber and says, I want to come. That's better because you just don't know enough about these. And you could even make that argument about Herman if you really wanted to. He's only been a head coach for two years. You just want more info on the guys out there before you make a change. I agree with that. But that means we're, that Notre Dame is keeping Kelly just to stay the course. To wait till next year. And then we can make I, a change. I, then Darden can make a change. Because you're true. looking at a body of work throughout his first season. 2011, coached the roster down. They didn't beat anybody. They're 8-5. and five. They coached worse than the roster was. 2012, coached way up, obviously. 2013, pretty even once Tommy Reese had to be a quarterback for all 13 games. 2014, I would down. Say, uh, I'd go even. I mean, once... Northwestern? It was bad, but like four game losing streak in November, and they gave up eight. They gave up. They were terrible. They were terrible they at the end of the year. They had no they players. They had a ton of injuries at that point. That's I went back. Not to, an excuse, yeah, look, but I, they we, did. You go back and watch the Navy game or all the other games in November, and you see Jacob Matuska rotating <laughs> in as their starting defensive yeah. tackle, and Chase Hounshell starting at USC, and Greer Martini starting as a true freshman, and Niles Morgan start, like that was. They, they were in a no win situation. Now they did not win, but right. it was a no win situation. I think you're both. I think you're both right in a lot of respects. You know what I'm saying? I, and I hear what you're saying, Tim, but I just, I don't, the, the people that I talk to, I don't think there's an environment that's saying that Jack Swarbrick wants to make a change. Now, you know, when I say Jack Swarbrick and we don't say board of trustees. <laughs> we don't say the people writing the checks. Yeah, and that's a pretty, that's a powerful organization. I, I you know, I, are we when we say Jack Swarbrick, do we mean Jack Swarbrick? Slash board of trustees. I don't think no, so. No, we I mean think Jack Swarbrick. Yes, we do. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, you know, and, and we have to bring up the Crossroads Project and, and, and that being a factor in this too. But having said all that, and I hear what you're saying, Tim, I don't think the change is going to be made. No, I don't, I don't believe one's going to be made either. But I'm more saying how committed I think something could still happen. I think what Pete brought up two weeks ago is if he sits down and if Brian Kelly sits down and says, this is what I want for my staff, I'm making one move. I think we looked really good when we beat Virginia Tech and came within two touchdowns of USC to finish five and seven. 
And hey, man, if Duke didn't have a better APR, we could go to the uh, bowl game played in. Then he says, "You're yeah. out of here." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, these are that is a situation like, where go back to your office and think about it. <laughs> yeah. So no, but I mean, there's yeah. I, I think I think Brian Cog's going to have coaching probably in Notre Dame next year. I think the Army win helps a lot. <laughs> I still believe that. I still believe they lost the Army. Well, yeah, already. that's that could be. But a I mean, that's, that's something we'll I'm never gonna, know. I'm going to skip a question, go to the next one. I'll come back, but. We're, I'm feeding into Pete's wheelhouse here now. PM Moore, 1995. Can you interpret this Brian Kelly comment for me? Quote, we're not going to be Alabama playing a bunch of experienced guys, and that's the way it's going to be moving forward. If you're a listener, you can get your popcorn ready. <laughs> Go ahead, Pete. No, there's no interpretation for that comment. Um, that I, I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Um, I mean, I'm... It's the first time I've ever been scrambling through Alabama's notes during a Notre Dame press conference. Because, I mean, on the one hand, it's just not true. Alabama is as young as probably it's ever been. They start... Okay, look, look at this. One you team, could have walked out. Yeah, one, it's been done. <laughs> only once. One team on their depth chart starts six sophomores and two freshmen. And one team starts three freshmen and three sophomores. One of them is Alabama. One of them is Notre Dame. That's not a big difference in how young you are. Um, Alabama starts a true freshman quarterback and a true freshman right tackle and two sophomores at safety. So Alabama is quite young. Uh, Ohio State is even younger than wow. that, yeah. and they look pretty good. So I, I just thought it was really defeatist. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand the logic of it in terms of, well, Alabama actually is young, but I think more importantly for Notre Dame, it's just this acceptance that you're always going to be young, which is ridiculous. Um, it's up to you to craft an old roster. I mean, what if Mike Bray got up there and was like, well, we're young. Sorry, we're young. I mean, Mike Bray is up there talking about, like, I want a team of men who have played together, experience, and so for some reason the football program is incapable of having an old roster. I don't, I don't understand that at all. It's a choice that Notre Dame makes to play Julian O'Quara and Khalid Kareem, start, you know, the eligible, Romeo O'Quara, those clocks going early when they don't have to. If you can redshirt an offensive lineman, you can redshirt a defensive lineman, and you can redshirt a linebacker, which they have in the past, Asmar Ball and Josh Barras come to mind. Dan Fox and Carlo Calabrese were pretty important at the end. Capper Lewis Moore, um... I mean, Jerron Jones, for all the you know stick that we give him, has had a really good year. Um, you know, the Miami game in particular. So I, I just don't get it. I I don't like this. We're always going to be young because that is just you're just laying the groundwork for why you can't compete for the college football playoff, which is something you talked about in August. Now that we're in November, oh, we're young. There's nothing you can do about it. I think uh, you sum it up by saying acceptance is indeed the word that we're going with for the off season here at Notre Dame. Jump back to the previous question. <laughs> Shawnika. Shawniki. Never seen that poster before. Where do you see Chase Claypool fitting into ND's plans for 2017? Um, you know, it's... I did a quick story on Jerem Smythe because he said he's coming back for a fifth year. And that makes you look at the numbers at tight end and say, okay, get Smythe, Wisher, Luatua, I would imagine. I mean, he's going to graduate, right? Um, then you got Brock Wright, Cole Komet, Alize Jones, maybe... One, Jones, I think, would have to play wide receiver full-time. Yeah. But he would do the exact same thing that Chase Claypool would do. Um, Equimania St. Brown is there. I mean, we're assuming Torrey Hunter is not. 
CJ Sanders is, is a slot only. Stefferson has had a really good year. So, yeah, I think Claypool still has to be a wide receiver. Do you do you move him to defense? The numbers would suggest that would actually be a good idea, but I don't know a damn thing about his you're skill pro- set about if that would work. You're, and you're you're probably uh, if you move him to defense, you might as well redshirt him because otherwise it's going to be a lost year, right? Yeah. Now he has half of his eligibility remaining. And all he's done for you is special teams. Yeah, I which can't is imagine good. redshirting Chase Claypool. No, he's I know. Best no, special I, teams player. No, I know. I know. Like, yeah, I understand. I know. I know. That, but, I'm saying. but you would, it's, you would, you would only have a defensive player yeah. for two years, and this is a, this is a pretty special guy. So keep him on offense. I like him. I like it I, when you go big in the slot and have Chase Claypool in the slot. Well, you go big in I the mean, slot with your tight end. So yeah, why don't yeah. right? right? So why don't you go ahead and do that? Although mm-hmm. LSA Jones is back, and you sure. have. You have options with him. You can have a um, lot of good players, yeah. too. I mean, it, one, this assumes that everyone right, <laughs> returns, right. which never happens. I mean, we don't we don't really know what's going to happen with Alizé Jones. We think he's going to come back. Yeah, yeah. You know, we didn't, I think, anticipate Tyler Lutua transferring after last year. You know, then he obviously returned. Maybe that happens again. And um, he's not involved in this in terms of, he's a special teams guy now. Yeah. He's, he's not involved. Yeah, so it's, um, maybe there's a receiver that leaves that we don't know about. Um there's, but they're going to have too many tight ends to move him to tight end, which I think would be an amazing position for him because it'd just be impossible to deal with. Um, but I think it'd be a real, real problem to deal with at wide receiver too. You know, could he be? If you're playing a three-four, could he be a stand-up outside linebacker? I think he'd probably be pretty good at that. Um, you know, would you bulk him up and turn him into defensive end? Probably not, but. I don't know. He's just a really intriguing guy, and he's great on special teams. I I agree with you. I agree with Priester. So if you're going to move him to defense, bite the bullet and sit him. Um, so you can get him in the shape you want him to. But you don't want to do that because no, he is the best special team without being flippant. I will ask about Chase Claypool every Thursday yes. press conference. He redshirts. And without being flippant, <laughs> I'm being fair to Brian Kelly. What are you sitting him for? Possibly you're sitting him for somebody else to take over him. I mean. Yeah, uh, right. Very, very and, true. That is very, very true. and that has nothing to do with uh, that. Is in the back of Brian Kelly's mind too, for sure. I'm gotta win next year, right? Yeah. Okay, so that Chase Claypool's <laughs> too good, to, and I totally agree with you, Tim. That it might be just a waste of a year yeah. if you're putting him there. But you, you're not sitting Chase Claypool for a football season. No, well, I mean, just, just, just keep like, him on offense. I'm fighting a way to get Claypool is probably what their third best receiver next year. Alize would be ahead of him. Let, let's keep Alize at tight end. Oh, okay. Um, okay so yeah. you got St. Brown. Okay. Stefferson. Yes. Claypool. I wrote or Sanders. It. I wrote in the Monday musings. I think he should. If this, if Alize Jones is eligible, he should move to the slot if he can handle wow. it. Because then you have it down the field. You don't need a small, quick guy in the slot that can't get open and catch the ball. You need a good player. I mean, theoretically, their best slot receiver yeah. they ever had. He's a right. running back. Right. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Buffalo Irish one, not a big mock draft guy, but do you think Deshaun Kaiser leaned towards returning Notre Dame if he got a second round draft grade? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question, and I don't have an answer for you on that one. I mean, just the finances. If you go first overall, you're getting a four year, twenty nine million dollar deal. If you go first overall in the second round, you're getting a four year, six point six million dollar deal. So, <laughs> do, you, do you come back to play yourself into a top ten pick and make an extra fifteen million dollars? You could you could argue that makes a lot of good economic sense. I mean, it's basically what Ronnie Stanley did, and it's working out for him. Um, I guess I just I don't think that he'll get a second round grade, but maybe maybe more hinges on um, 
the last two games for Kaiser than we are talking about or acknowledging because if he goes out and plays two Stanford type games, he's not going in the first round. Because I mean, right? Okay, so every time you ran into an athletic defense with good DBs, you you struggled. That's not going to cut it. If he gets a second round grade, I do think he would come back. Uh, I don't think he's going to get a second round grade. But if he gets a second round grade, it would be weird not to come back. He's a true junior coming back to yeah, yeah. a team that is built around him. All his line, I mean, whether it's good or not, his offensive line will be back. His receivers will be back. His coach will probably be back. His offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach will be back. If you're a second round grade, it makes sense to come back and try to get that twenty three million dollars you talked yeah. about. I mean, it's not that he likes Notre Dame. It's not like he's looking for a way out. It's we, his leaving is oh my god, why in the world would you stay? You're going to get all this money and you're going to go do what you want to do your whole life. So if you're going to be told you have to work for that a little harder, maybe you would go back to Notre Dame. Well, I don't know that. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's it's been less than it's only been about. 12 months that Deshaun Kaiser has thought of himself as an NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, it's right around Pitt last year probably, right? Yeah. When you got into that I range. Mean, it's pretty wild to think that's how quickly it changes. I do think that, you know, we always talk about the weight of the world being on his shoulders this year. Does that does that play into wanting to go ahead and move on? I mean, he never struck me as the kind of guy that was quick, you know, I want to get out of Notre Dame. But when opportunity knocks... You have to do it. I don't think he'll be a second round. I don't think he'll get a second round grade. Um, mainly because quarterbacks are just treated differently, and they're going to look at that product and say, "Okay, he's lacking a little here and here, but we can make we can make him great." And we've seen a lot of good quarterbacks on teams with bad records get drafted high. Yeah, I don't think the record matters at all. No. People are holding on to that. But I, I, Pete made a good point. I hadn't thought about. He has a really bad game against Virginia Tech and USC. Yeah, he played well then against Texas, and in the second half against Michigan State, and everybody else was a in Miami. Miami has Miami athletes. with some inconsistencies, yeah, but everybody there. else has yeah. horribly lower level players than Notre Dame on the schedule. This yeah, year. it's just, they, the record. I, I, I think Brian Kelly references Thursday last week that you're judged by your record, and then, and that may be true in a from a how you're remembered at the college right. you played for. Yeah, just um, there, though. Yeah. But no NFL scouts, if they lose to Virginia Tech and USC, is going to be like, well, Deshaun Kaiser was only 12 on 11 as a starter. I mean, no, they don't care. I don't um, think so either. Because he, he looks like a pro, talks like a pro. He's got the arm strength of a pro. He's got a lot of stuff to clean up. I mean, he, he definitely, fundamentally, uh, and Brian Kelly has referenced that more than once, enough that is sort of like, well, that's kind of interesting that he keeps talking about Kaiser's fundamentals. Um, but, I mean, there are certain plays. And there was one against Army where, you know, C.J. Sanders is running wide open in the middle of the field. And he misses him by, like, two or three yards. Um, he airballs the, air, air balls, air balls the uh, air mails this, uh, horizontal throws quite often, actually. Yeah. It's kind of strange. Yeah, so point where... is that... Is it? And it's like okay, so you got to get that fundamentally cleaned up. Well, they they practice in the NFL too. Yeah, um, they do. And, can, and I and I think it's a foot. I think it's a footwork yeah. thing with him. I mean, it it was in the beginning before he developed, and he's probably gotten into some bad habits with footwork. I don't. But I was never a quarterback, so I don't understand that. But but it is what it is, and it's absolutely essential. Wouldn't that all have to change? Because just I'm just going by if, if one way is true, the other the reverse has to be. They talked about having to redo all of Dane's footwork from a pro-style offense to the spread. So don't they have to redo all these guys' footwork when they leave the spread read option to the pros? I know, I mean, it's a lot of shotgun in the NFL. It's all shotgun in the NFL, too, yeah. but it's you're not read option handoffs. I'm yeah. sure that's different footwork. 
involved. Or maybe it's just all that matters is once you've faked that handoff what your footwork is. I guess well. I'm just surprised that so many quarterbacks struggle with football. Yeah, I'm just wondering, is it because they're in a different, they're in well, a, that could everything's very well wrong. Be. That could it's, very well be. You don't, you, that could that's very why well people be. like pro style. All right, we have, a, we have a last question here, and I've been around for 35 senior days, and uh, anyway, we'll ask Tim this because he's uh, he has an answer. Irish ND 23 with it being senior day on Saturday, I'd like to hear the staff's favorite senior day games or memories. I have, if there's any fellow 1995 graduates out there, our senior days were so memorable, they are all titled. By other programs. My first senior day was the Miracle in South Bend. Notre Dame 31, Tennessee 7. Tennessee wins 35-34 to knock Notre Dame out of the national title hunt. My second senior day is the Snow Bowl. I believe that's memorialized all over campus. It's one of the most famous games. 1992. 1992. My third senior day is the day the world ended for Notre Dame. For an next quarter century after they lost to Boston College. All they did was weaken a nation that day, Tim. (laughs) <laughs> and my fourth senior day, by comparison, I would like to... I had to look it up. It's how memorable it was after those other three. <laughs> they beat Air Force to move to 6-4. And, wait for it, go to USC to make it one. That season draws a... Launch them to a Fiesta Bowl bid. <laughs> launch them to a Fiesta Bowl bid against... Imagine this, okay. Let's say Notre Dame wins their next two games. They're 6-6. Six and six. And they draw... For their reward in the bowl game, what the 94 team drew to go 6-4-1, the fifth-ranked team in the country <laughs> for the bowl game. So Notre Dame gets Lamar Jackson and Louisville. <laughs> that is the equivalent of what happened wow. in 94. But you know, the ni- my senior year is like the Holtz relative to Kelly era of this season. Now, they're you know, preseason number three, finished 6-5-1. and one. At one point, they were 5-3. and three. It lost two in a row, got housed on the road by Boston College, lost close games everywhere else. It's like a good, it's like a top programs this year. Nordheim's like a, a you know a second level program yeah. nowadays, coming yeah. off a good season. It's yeah. it's really there's a similar thing. It's, yeah, it is. This is why it's weird that they're four and six. Uh, many of my <laughs> senior day memories are uh, similar to Tim's, uh, but I do Holtz's last one in '96 when he, I mean, he broke down and cried. And uh, that that meant a lot to me because it showed me how much Notre Dame meant to him. You know what I'm saying? You think that would happen now? <laughs> I think uh, Charlie Weiss cried on his last senior day. <laughs> do you remember that? He I was, do. He was walking out of the uh, tunnel arm in arm with Kyle McCarthy. Oh, and that's player. right. I yeah. represented the message board. Yeah. For, different, yeah. for different reasons, yeah. of course. But... Uh, yeah, that was my Pete. Do you have um, anything that stands out? There to you? was, uh, I mean, there was the snowball fight in the Syracuse game. That was memorable, not in a good way. Uh, but, but they still got Manti Teo. They still got Manti Teo, so that was memorable in a good way. Um, what else? There, I mean, there was the Utah game, which I don't think of as senior day in retrospect because right. it was earlier in the year, but that actually was. That was, I think, the only time I've been at Notre Dame when they. Mobbed the field afterwards, which I thought was kind of cool. You, you know, the team wasn't that good, but it was kind of a cool moment. Um, let's see other senior days that I remember. I apparently I don't remember getting candy from Manti Taylor. How do you not remember that? I remember him having this yeah. like the huge Hawaiian lay, but I don't remember him handing out candy to me. Special Hawaiian candy he was giving to everybody. I'm sure it was he good. Said, it he was like, good, was like right? slam that, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember that. Obviously, it was lost on you. Um, 
I do. I really enjoyed talking to Chris Watt after the BYU game in 2013 because uh, we were talking to him, and that was the game Jerron Jones was just moving into the starting lineup. Uh, he was on the scout team one yeah, month before. Yeah, because Lewis Nix messed up his knee and was done for the year. And talking to Watt, and we asked, hey, do you think uh, Jerron had that in him? He had seven tackles or something. Watt was just said, yeah, I was looking up at the scoreboard after the game, and I saw tackles, Jones seven. And I'm like, TJ Jones? <laughs> um, it's like, oh, yeah, Jerron! Um, yeah, but but other than that, I mean, there's not... Um, the the combination of Wake Forest and Syracuse games that they won, I have no, or Rutgers, I just have like, did that happen? Yeah. Like, uh, I wasn't at the Boston College one in 2011. My sister was getting married, so I remember that senior day because I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> but that, did anybody that, call you about a recruit that day? <laughs> uh, no, but I do remember checking Twitter and seeing Jonas Gray got hurt in the game and being a- actually depressed at the reception. Um, I, I feel like that's that was bad. The number one. Notre Dame athlete, well, until Jalen Smith, where the entire press box, when someone got hurt, didn't just report it. Everybody's just like, no, 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 no. That's yeah. just good for him. I mean, because the kid he became and the prospect he became. Yeah. But yeah, that's senior day. Uh, they used to, Tim and I were talking about this, they used to always play a very good team. So they become memorable, and that's why Lou has a bad senior day record while they played number two Penn State. Right. Lost to Penn State twice, yeah. yes. Uh, one they shouldn't have. They were number one in the country. Yeah. Still played for the national, split for the national title. Yeah. Different world. But yeah, they played good teams back then on yeah. senior day. It's, Brian it's, Kelly is 5-1 and one on, on senior days, and uh, being 6-1 and one is going to be a challenge this weekend when Notre Dame takes on Virginia Tech. We ready to wrap up, guys? Okay, we will uh, we'll be uh, – it's going to get cold and windy <laughs> Beautiful. In Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday, so we will talk to you from some point in Notre Dame Stadium, uh, depending upon the weather as we uh, get ready for Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, this Saturday.